Well, good morning, church. Come on, you knew about that. Good morning, church. We are glad that you are here this morning, and uh, want to remind you that last week I mentioned to you that we are breaking from John's gospel for just this month. We'll be back in it starting the 1st of February, and we'll be picking it back up in John chapter 9. But we thought this month would be so important maybe for us to pause a little bit and to talk about who we are as a church. Talk about who we are as a family of God, who we, what, what we believe as the family of God, and what does it mean for you to be part of the family of God. And so this series is super important for us for a lot of different people in the room. If you're a first-time guest or you're kind of new to Cross Life East, this series is crucial for you because you get a chance to figure out who we are. And if you're that person that's been here for a while and you're thinking about, hey, maybe I'm ready to join the church and, and step on board and go, hey, I'm, I believe in what you believe in. I'm ready to take that step and to, to join you hand in hand and to, to make a difference for the kingdom of God. This series is important for you too because you're discovering everything that I would be talking about through our membership class called Discover Cross Life. And in fact, at the last week of this series, you're going to have a chance to join the church if you've not done that. And so if you miss a week, just go back and watch it. We posted Tuesday morning, somewhere between 10 and noon. You go back and watch it, and you can find out kind of what you missed the week before. And, and so this is good for you, the, those of you that are thinking about joining the church. But also... There's a group of us in here that are a part of this church that have bought into what we're about and, and believe what we're about. And this series, I believe, is maybe even as much crucial for those of us that fit into that category because it reminds us of what our main thing is. I don't know about you, but I think it's easy sometimes to get caught up in the chaos of life. Anybody with me on that one? Some of you are maybe still in it, right? I, I, I love, I, I know that the, there's chaos in life and, and sometimes we need something just to center us and to bring us back to the main thing. And even in churches, we get so busy. We got so many things going on. We've talked to you about selling the property. We talked to you about our future. And we've got all these hats spinning and sometimes it's just really important for us to go, okay, but let's bring it down to the main thing, who we are as the body of Christ. And so last week, we talked about we are purpose-driven, that at Cross Life East, we are purpose-driven, that our vision and our mission is what drives us. It is the lens for how we do ministry. It's how we plan our worship. It's how we decide to, what events we're going to do. It, everything, every decision we make is filtered through the lens of loving God and loving people. But listen, that's not only the purpose of the church. That's the purpose of every believer too, isn't it? And so I challenged you last week to make sure, and you look in your life, are you purpose-driven? Are you living your life and looking at everything through the lens of loving God and loving people? And today I want to move on to the second thing that we are, and it's this. We are rooted. As a body of Christ, we are rooted. What I mean by that is that we are grounded, and we're not grounded and we're not rooted by the philosophies of this world. We're not grounded and rooted by the ideologies of this world. We are rounded, grounded and rooted in the Word of God. This is the thing that we go to to get our cues from. This is the thing that we seek after and pursue to find out the heart, the mind, and the will of God. So when I say we are rooted, here's what I'm saying to you. As, as those that are maybe considering joining our church, you're new to our church, or you just need to be grounded, this is the very thing that we will preach every Sunday morning so we can commit to aligning our hearts and aligning our lives with God's heart. And we can only do that if we're rooted 
into the Word of God. Amen? And so we're rooted in the Word of God. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to give you really two reasons while we're rooted in God's Word, why God's Word trumps everything else. And I say that because some of you have come from maybe different backgrounds, and you've been in places where they preach philosophy, and they preach different worldly ideologies. And I want to tell you, I'm just not that smart. And I believe that what the foundation of what we believe and the foundation that decides how we should live our lives is the foundation of God's Word. And I will die on that hill because I believe that with all of my heart. And so why are we rooted as a church? Why are we grounded in God's word? Why do we talk about going to small groups so you can get more of God's word? Why do we talk about abiding in God's word as we did a few weeks ago as we go into the new year? Why? Because it's God's word that roots us and grounds us into his heart and to his will. So let me give you a couple of reasons. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's a very familiar passage, and I want to ask you, would you just, we're going to read two verses. Go ahead and stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 3. You've heard this before. Here's what Paul tells Timothy. All Scripture, everybody say all Scripture. What does all Scripture mean? You're so smart. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. God, we love you and we need you today. And God, my prayer is that that for those that are here, that we would just on one level acknowledge that what it keeps us grounded as a church and what we are rooted in is your word. They will never hear someone stand on this stage that will not preach your word. They will never hear someone sit in a small group environment and not teach your word. It is the foundation to the very way that we want to do life is looking to your word. And God, we, we, we know that it's from you, it's by you. And God, may we know that this morning, but may we we learn this morning from your word. May we learn why we should be rooted in it. So God, be with us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, there are two reasons I believe we find in Scripture that's crucial for you and I to be rooted and to be grounded in God's word. The first one's found in the very first part of verse 16. Let's go back there. It says this, all Scripture is breathed out by God. So Paul tells Timothy, all Scripture has been breathed out by God. What is he saying? He's saying all Scripture is inspired by God. Do you believe that this morning? All Scripture has been inspired by God. In other words, Scripture is from God. And it is by God. He, while he used 40, over 40 different authors, it is still authored by God Almighty. It is from him, it is by him, and it is inspired from him. Every, all scripture has been breathed out by God. And sometimes I think we minimize the value of what Paul is saying here. He's saying that every word of scripture that we read is as if it has come from the very mouth of God because through his Holy Spirit, he inspired these writers to write it. All scripture is inspired by God. 
And I want you to know, if you ever wondered where we stood on God's Word, that's where we as a church stand on God's Word. All Scripture is inspired by God. But not only that, Scripture tells us that also God's Word is active. In Hebrews, you don't have to turn there, but Hebrews chapter 4, it says this, verse 12. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and of its marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. He says, for God's word is living and what? It is active. What does that mean? It means God's word is not antiquated and it's not irrelevant. God's word is living and it's active. Well, Doug, it was written over 2,000 years ago. That's New Testament. Old Testament was written longer than that. I know that. But for the writer of Hebrews, he says that God's word, the inspired word of God, is living and it's active. What does that mean? It means it is relevant for today and it will always be relevant no matter how long the Lord tarries before he comes again. It's living and it's active. And because of that, listen to me, church, because of that, and you've heard me say this, because this is the inspired word of God, because it's living and it's active, it's not antiquated, it's not irrelevant. Listen, this is the sole authority for how we are to live our lives. Where else can you go to find the heart of God? Where else can you go to find the characteristics, the nature, the attributes of God? Where else can you go to find the will of God? Where else can you go to find how we're to live a life that's honor and pleasing to the Lord? You can't go anywhere else but to the very source of God's breath himself, and that's the word of God. And so when we talk about the word of God, the one reason we are rooted and we are grounded in God's word is because it's inspired, it's active, and therefore it is the sole authority for how we are to live our lives. Now, why am I saying that? Because there's too many people that look to God's word. They call themselves Christians, and they look to God's word and go, you know what, it's a pretty good roadmap for how to live life. But some of it, you know, it was written 2,000 years ago, and maybe it's not as relevant today as maybe it was back then. And I would say, you're wrong. It's living it's active, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing the heart. So one reason we are rooted and grounded is because we believe that God's word has been inspired by him and the sole authority for how we live our lives. Let me give you a second reason, and really where I want to camp this morning is found in verse 16. It says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable, everybody say profitable, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training us in righteousness. Second reason that we as a church are rooted and grounded in God's word is first because it's inspired by God, but second of all is because it is profitable. It's profitable. Just simply means that it is useful, that it is needed. In fact, I would go as far as to say that it is essential. That when you take God's word, there is so much value to it that you've got to be rooted in it. And he tells us what value God's word brings to our lives. He tells us, first of all, that it brings value in teaching, that God's word is profitable in teaching us. That word teaching there in the Greek just means it reveals truth to us. Now, when you read God's word, are there a lot of truths in there? Yes, there are a lot of truths. And some of those truths that we look at are truths that we would call biblical doctrines of the Bible. 
And so when you read God's word, it's, it's profitable, it's beneficial, it's essential to all of us. Why? Because it reveals, it teaches us, it reveals truth to us. And I want you to think about some truths that we learn. Some really, some doctrines that we learn in Scripture. The first thing I want you to think about is the truth about sin. We learn that in Scripture. We learn the truth about sin. It's one of the doctrines that we cling to. And the Bible says in Romans 3, 23, for all have what? Come on, for all have what? All of us have sinned. Every single one of us. All of us. No one is exempt except Jesus from that statement. For all of us have sinned. That word sin means anything that we say, anything we do, or anything that we think that is rebellion toward God and his law and his statutes. Haven't we all rebelled against God? Have we all said things and done things and thought things that went against the very nature and the very heart of God? And one of the doctrines we learn, one of the truths that we learn is the truth about sin, that all have sinned and all have rebelled against God. And John, um, Paul says this in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. Death. What does sin do to us? It separates us from a holy God, right? It separates us. So because we sin, we are separated. And we also learn from Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, that sin requires payment, that there are consequences. And you say, well, Doug, we all sin, yes, and that means we all have a payment we've got to make. But here's the really bad news. We can never pay the debt that we owe. Listen, do you know why hell is forever? Because that's how long it would take you to pay back your sin debt. Eternity. Now, I say that because there may be some people in the room that you believe there's a new, kind of a, a new wave of belief going around called annihilationism, which basically means that you think that hell is temporary, that they go and they, they're punished and all of a sudden they cease to exist. And I would say the Bible doesn't teach that at all. Hell is as eternal as heaven is. And the reason people occupy hell is because they have rejected Jesus as Savior and it will take them all eternity to pay back the debt that they owe. See, we believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, but it is profitable to teach us, to teach us the truths and the doctrines of God's Word. And one of those is sin. It also teaches the truth about the Son of God, Jesus. We've been in John's Gospel, and we've learned a lot about Jesus, haven't we? We've learned a lot about Him. In fact, if you remember, John chapter 1, verse 1 says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, the Word was with God. You're like, wow, that was confusing. And we went through that, right? But what do we learn in that? We learn that the Word represents the Logos, which is a reference to Jesus. And so Jesus was in the beginning. Jesus was with God. Jesus is God. And what we learn in John's gospel is that Jesus is the third person of the Trinity, that he is co-equal to the Father and to the Spirit. And John 1.14 says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, that Jesus stepped out of glory and became one of us, right? We learn about who the Son is, but here's what we also learn. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, Jesus who lived a sinless and perfect life took on our sin so that we, if we put our faith in him, 
could have a right standing with our Heavenly Father. See, when we look at Scripture, it teaches us. It teaches doctrine like the doctrine of sin that we hold dear to, like the doctrine of the Son that we hold dear to, and like the doctrine and the truth regarding the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the second part of the Trinity in John chapter 14. And you have these verses in your notes. You can go back and read them later. But in John chapter 14, Jesus talks about the Spirit that's coming. He said the Father is going to send someone, and he's not only going to be with you, he's going to be, guess what? In you. And we believe the Bible teaches us the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the, the second part of the Trinity, that, the, that, the, that the, 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 uh, the Holy Spirit comes, and he's not just with us, he is in us. And why is the Holy Spirit in us? To convict us, right? To convict us of sin. Do you remember when you were little, and your mom, or your grandma, was my grandma, told me, Douglas, that, that's when I was in trouble usually, Douglas, get out of the cookie jar. Anybody remember those moments in your life? You ever have those? And when you got in the cookie jar, what did grandma do? Come on, what did grandma do? She got the fly swat, right? You know what a fly swat is, don't you? She got the fly swat, and she let you have it right across the old knuckles there, right? And what did you learn? That grandma was serious about staying out of the cookie jar. The Holy Spirit in us convicts us and slaps us on the hand spiritually to remind us and to warn us that sin is on its way, that temptation needs to be stayed away from. We have the Holy Spirit in us to convict us. We also have the same Holy Spirit in us to, to guide us and to sanctify us, to make us more like Christ, and to equip us. The Holy Spirit in us is in us to equip us so that we can live a life that's honoring and pleasing to God. In fact, one way the Holy Spirit equips us, the moment you said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit gave you a spiritual gift. A gift that's designed to be used to build up the body. If you're like, Doug, I have no idea about spiritual gifts, and I have no idea what mine is. Listen, this coming Wednesday night at 6 o'clock at the Oviedo campus, I'm teaching seven weeks on spiritual gifts. And if you don't know what your gift is, you need to discover it, use it, to build up this body of believers. And so when we look to the Holy Spirit, the God's Word, we see the truth about the Spirit. So we see the doctrine of sin, the Son, the Spirit. But listen to this. We also see the truth about salvation. Now this is a big one. Because we live in a world that would say this. That if there is a God that exists, there is a supreme being somewhere, it must be works-based. That somehow if my good can outweigh my bad, the only way for that supreme being to, to be fair is to let me in. Y'all heard something similar to that, haven't you? Yep. It's all works-based. It's all, if I can be good enough, yet what Scripture says, there's no one good. No, not one. So if I say I'm good, who am I comparing myself to? Jose? Bird? Christy? Who am I comparing myself to? Because listen, there is only one standard, and that standard is Jesus, right? And so when Jesus is the standard, Scripture is right. There is no one good. No, not one. And so we learn the truth about salvation. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, it's by grace you've been saved through how? Faith. Faith. It's by grace you're saved 
through faith. Do you know what grace is, right? We've talked about this. Grace is an, the undeserving favor and love of God. I don't know about you, but every Sunday morning, when our team leads us to the throne in worship, I'm reminded how much I don't deserve his love and his grace. But I'm thankful that he's given it anyway. Aren't you? Aren't you thankful he's given it anyway? So we are saved by grace through faith. He offers his undeserving love. And if we put our faith in him, put our faith in Christ, that's the only way to be saved. And so we learn the truth about salvation. We also learn the truth about that salvation is a free gift of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life with Jesus Christ our Lord. That the salvation he offers is free. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't pay for it. You can't be good enough to get it. It is a free gift of God. But you know, we also learn when we come to the doctrine of salvation according to Scripture as we learn that this salvation that only comes through faith in Jesus, this salvation that is a free gift of God, this salvation, when we put our faith in Jesus, our salvation is secure. John 10, 28 says it this way, that once the Father has given you eternal life, no one can pluck you out of the Father's hands. It's one of my favorite verses. Because it speaks to all the naysayers. Well, you know what? You know, you, you can lose your salvation. No, you can't. The creator of the universe who spoke 10 times and created the world has said that once the Father gives you eternal life, no one can pluck you out of his hand. That word no one means no one, no thing, and nobody. If you weren't big enough, strong enough, and man and woman enough to earn it, you sure can't lose it on your own. And we learn when we come to this word, not Doug's opinion, but this word, that my salvation is through Jesus, that salvation is a free gift, and that salvation is secure in Christ. We learn that truth. We also learn other truths. We learn the truth about the ordinances that we observe here. There's two ordinances we observe. If you grew up Catholic, they called them sacraments. We don't call them that, but they're ordinances we observe. Baptism and the Lord's Supper or communion. Even Scripture, when we come to Scripture, we learn the value of baptism. We learn that Scripture tells us that baptism, and like Colossians 2, you can look at it later, but in Colossians chapter 2, we learn the value of baptism, that baptism is an outward expression of what Christ has done in my life. Like when you see someone baptized on a Sunday morning, what you see is that there's nothing about that water that saves them. You're seeing someone declare to the world that I, I was living my life, I died to my sin, and now I'm a new creation in Christ. That's what baptism is. And baptism, we learn, is a step of obedience. We learn that. And we also learn that baptism comes post-salvation. Once you've given your life to Jesus, that's when you can declare to the world that you belong to him. We learn that not from Doug's opinion. We learn it from the truth of Scripture. We also learn about the Lord's Supper. We learn that the Lord's Supper is a time that the body of Christ comes together. It's a time to examine our own hearts and to remember to remember what Jesus did for us. To remember the body that was beaten and bruised and battered for us. To remember the blood that was shed to cover our sins. And out of response of remembering, we express our gratitude by taking the Lord's Supper. Where do we learn that? Here. 
So I want you to know something. that we got a lot more ground to cover, but listen to me. One of the reasons that we are rooted in Scripture is because it is profitable to teach us, to reveal truth. And those doctrines I mentioned, those are close-handed issues for us at this church. We believe we all sin. We believe Jesus is the only way to salvation. We believe the Holy Spirit is in us to guide us, to convict us, and to make us more like Jesus. We believe that salvation comes by grace through faith alone in Jesus. And we believe that baptism is one of the early steps of obedience to our Savior. And we believe that when we take the Lord's Supper, we are commemorating what he's already done for us. We believe those things. So God's word is valuable because it teaches. He also says God's word is valuable because it provides reproof. That word reproof just means to rebuke bad behavior or bad doctrine. That God's word is valuable because it teaches us all those things I talked about and much, much more. But it's also valuable because it offers reproof. It offers a rebuke for bad doctrine and bad behavior. Anybody ever had bad behavior in your life here? bunch of liars in their own right. We've all had bad behavior, right? And when you read scripture, what does it do for us? It rebukes us. And you see this all the way through the Bible. I mean, the book of Proverbs over and over and over again rebukes pride, doesn't it? Jesus rebuked the religious leaders for their hypocrisy. The apostle Paul rebuked Peter in Antioch in Galatians chapter 2 because Peter was doing something he shouldn't have been doing. He was making people that were Gentiles feel like they had to become Jewish to be accepted. And Paul meets him and confronts him face to face and he rebukes Peter. Jesus rebuked the religious leaders because they didn't believe in a resurrection. And he told them they were wrong. God's word is valuable because it brings reproof to our lives. It, when I read God's word, it rebukes my bad doctrine and my bad behavior. You know why? Because when I read scripture over and over and over again, I'm reminded that I am broken, that I was lost, but Jesus through his grace saved me. And I want to live that life, not this life anymore. And so when I read it, I read my situation and my circumstance. When I come to Scripture, I read and it rebukes any bad attitude, any bad doctrine, any bad decisions that I'm making. But he gives a third reason God's Word is so essential for us, so valuable for teaching, for reproof, but also for correction. This is an interesting word. The word correction here literally means to restore back to proper condition, which seems different than correction. But it means to restore back to proper condition. In other words, correction comes after reproof. Rebuke comes first, right? And then correction comes. And the idea of correction is restoring us back to proper condition. Where there are two areas in our lives that we oftentimes need to have restoration. One is personally in our relationship with God, right? How many of you have sinned against God? We all have. How many of you, because of our sin, have broken fellowship with God? We all have. How many of us want that fellowship restored? Hopefully we all do. Well, we learn in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all what? Unrighteousness. That when we blow it and we confess it, we can once again be reminded of the forgiveness we've received and he will clean us up and put us on a new path. Listen, that is good news because I mess up a lot, don't you? 
And I need 1 John 1, 9 to be reminded that I just need to be faithful <coughs> to confess my sins to the Lord, and he will clean me up. I don't have to clean myself up. He will clean me up, remind me of his forgiveness that I've received, and he will cleanse my heart and put me right back on the right path. Another relationship that oftentimes we need restored is not only a relationship with God, but a relationship with other people. There's a word that shows up a lot in the epistles. It shows up a lot in Jesus' teaching. Let me tell you what the word is. Forgive. Forgive. Can I tell you that's one of the most difficult things to do, but one of the most essential things that you need to learn as a believer how to do it? You need to understand what is forgiveness, what is forgiveness not. Forgiveness is not, a, you know, a condoning sin. Forgiveness is not overlooking someone's sin. Forgiveness is not throwing, sweeping it under the rug. Forgiveness is just saying, I choose to cancel your debt and to never leverage it over you ever again. And for some of us, if we're going to restore relationships that we've broken, there's got to be forgiveness. And we see it all the way through Scripture. We see it in Matthew chapter 6. We see it in Colossians chapter 3. We see it in Ephesians. I mean, you see it all through the Bible. And so God's Word is valuable because it brings reproof, teaching, correction. But there's one more thing that God's Word brings so much value. says it brings value because it helps train us in righteousness. Training in righteousness. This phrase just means to instruct us in living a godly life. That God's word is valuable because it instructs us on how to live a life that's honoring and pleasing to the Lord. So for example, maybe you know somebody that you care about or maybe somebody you're acquainted with and you know that they are living in a known sin and you may be faced with this question, what do I do about it? I know that they're living in a known sin. What do I do about it? What most of us do is this. Well, that's just none of my what? Business. And biblically, you're wrong. You're wrong. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells us clearly that when we find someone that's caught in known sin, we know that there's a way that we are to handle that. Now, many of you, when I just said that, you're like, that is sweet. I'm going to go after them after church, and I'm going to let them have it. Well, you might want to read Matthew chapter 7. Because Matthew chapter 7 says that before you go to them, you take the log out of your eye before you go point out the speck in their eye. Because when I do that, I, now I'm going to go with grace and compassion, and empathy, and tenderness. Also in Scripture, if you deal with conflict, anybody had conflict with anybody? Anybody ever have conflict with anybody? Okay, still a bunch of liars in the room, right? Scripture is clear. How do you deal with conflict? When someone has sinned against you, or someone's hurt you, how do you deal with conflict? Matthew 18. He lays it out, Jesus lays it out perfectly how we are to deal with conflict. And the reason we don't manage conflict is because we choose not to do what Jesus said. You go first to try to restore the relationship. Then you take somebody with you, and then you bring it to a gathering, an assembling of people. I mean, he tells us how to deal with conflict so that we can live a life that's honoring to him. Even in the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses issues of the heart. He talks about things like uh, what we value. Well, your treasure is there, your heart will be also. 
He talks about anxiety. He talks about anger. He talks about lust. He talks about loving your enemies. I mean, when you look at Scripture, we see over and over and over again that God's Word is valuable because it trains us in righteousness. How do we deal with conflict? How do we go confront a brother who's in sin? How do we deal with the heartaches and issues that's within us? How do we deal with that? It's all in here. And I just want you to know this morning, as we try to wrap this up, that the reason that this guy and the reason this church is rooted and grounded in God's Word and will teach it and preach it every Sunday morning is, first of all, because it is inspired by God. It is God's Word to humanity. And second of all is because it is profitable. It's useful to help us with teaching. It's useful for rebuking us. It's useful for restoring our, us back. It's also useful to instructing us on how we can live a life that's godly. And as a result, listen, as I close, as a result of being rooted in God's word, look what he says in verse 17. That the man of God or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Only when we are rooted in this are we capable to live a life that is pleasing to God. Only when we are rooted in this are we able to live in a way that's honoring and pleasing to him? And so I just want you to know this morning before we close, this is who we are. We are rooted in this. If you come to me and say, hey, pastor, man, I've got a problem going on. Would you, would you give me some advice and counsel? Guess where we're going? We're going here. Because God is way smarter than this guy. My wisdom doesn't compare to the wisdom of God, and the wisdom I do have has come from God. And so we're going to go right here because God knows all things, sees all things, and in this word has addressed all things that we need to know. And so we're rooted in this word for those reasons. And so this is who we are, and I want to close with this question. Is this who you are? Is this who you are? Are you a person that's rooted and grounded in God's word. Now, used to, when I was younger, people would make this excuse. Well, you know what, Doug? I just don't understand it. Anybody ever heard that one before? Okay, that is about as lame as they come anymore. There's enough godly helps out there that I can give you that can help you through commentaries and understandings that help you understand what you don't understand. There are people in small groups that will love to sit down with you and to open up God's Word and talk about those things. So if that's your excuse this morning, it holds no water anymore. Is this who you are? Maybe if you looked at your life, you can answer it. <clears throat> maybe the reason that things are not going well in your life, maybe the reason there's conflict where there shouldn't be conflict, maybe why there's relationships that have been broken, is maybe all that because you have not been rooted in this. You've been rooted in the world, its philosophies, its ideologies, its way of doing things. And I just want to ask you this morning what I asked you three weeks ago. How about we just make a commitment today to abide in this? Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 8? If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciple, and you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you. Set you free. I'm just saying, 
If we're going to be the believer that God has called us to be, if we're going to make the impact, if we're going to live a life that is pleasing to him, you have to be rooted in this. You got to be grounded in this. And listen, if you say this morning, Doug, I don't have God's word. Let me know. We'll get you one. But if we're going to make the impact we ought to make, if we're going to love God and love people the way we're called to, we've got to be rooted in this. This has got to be the sole authority for how you parent. This has got to be the sole authority for how you do marriage. This has got to be the sole authority for how you manage finances. This has got to be the sole authority for every decision you make in life. It's got to come back to God's word. If you believe that this morning, say amen. amen. Let's pray together.